welcome to the Cast of Caw, where we talk about all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the one and only DJ. Indeed. I am here, the smoke is gone, and life is good again. Oh my god. Isn't it amazing what having access to a blue sky can do for your <laughs> oh, psyche? Man. When you're like, oh, the air quality is down to just unhealthy, sign me Ooh. up. I'm going outside right now. <laughs> I know, it's so sad. There was some days where the sun would come up, but it would never actually get light in the house. and it, Or oh, it was yeah. like orange light yeah, in the, the house. Yeah, the orange oh. was a thing. We were up, uh, like, so there's like a um, do not go outside and like the limit's yeah. 560 parts per million in the air. Ooh. And Ooh. and like the, the arrow was pegged when we checked it in the morning and it's like, you're in the thousands. Oh, <laughs> do, my do not God. leave the house unless absolutely necessary. And you're like, Hideous. ah, and you you finally like go out a couple days later to like check on the car and it's snowed on, but it's ash snow. Yes, that's the creepiest, isn't it? <laughs> but thankfully things are, it seemed like getting a little bit better. Let's enjoy our blue skies literally while we have them. The other thing that's happening today, it's a big day. Our patron saint, the one and only Stephen King's birthday is today. Today we are recording. So uh, hopefully he doesn't croak like said uh, Supreme <laughs> Court justice that we oh, all also DJ, love. No. <laughs> it's so dark. It is dark. Oh, okay, there go my blue skies. Thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. All right, plan for this episode. We're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation of Wizard and Glass Part 2, Susan Chapter 3, A Meeting on the Road. And then we'll close out the show with some fun listener feedback. This one... I was having a little trouble coming up with a question for this this chapter. It went out late because I truly was trying to find something deep to ask and I couldn't. <laughs> so I went a different way. <laughs> so well, that's going to be, I think, really fun, though. I'm especially excited to hear your answer to the question. I, I mean, I wasn't as prepared as I probably should have been for this. So like I could okay. have had a brainstorming session about it. Okay. Now you're just going to get off the cuff and it probably will be slightly lame and a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're setting our expectations low so that you can just crush when we get there. Oh man. I, uh, mumble, mumble. Um, okay. So uh, you want to start off with uh, the spoiler zone or do you want to yeah. like, yeah, Oh, that'd be awesome. Why don't you remind our listener what our spoiler policy and let people, if they're new to the show, know what our policy is around spoilers. Well, guys, like a, a backfire burn, uh, we will leave a dead zone between <laughs> your city and the fire that is coming to approach it, which is the spoiler zone. And we will let you know that you are in evacuation zone three so you can escape before we reach the point of spoiling your content. <laughs> FYI, death can occur from spoiler zone. <laughs> oh, God. Topically uh, accurate? I don't to know. Maybe? Totally topically, like, terrifyingly topically accurate. <laughs> ooh, 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 I mean, we're heading into some very dark stuff with this book pretty soon, so I feel like it's 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 good at mood setting. Like, yeah, and I, I, I think actually, like, the end of times that are currently surrounding us actually, yeah. like, mirror what we're uh into yeah. in the future, let's hope we don't end up correctly. with briefing day that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> like, 
<laughs> All right. Awesome. No new iTunes reviews this week. But if you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a review on iTunes and we will read them on the show as a thank you for your labor. So, yeah, let's get started. Let's dig in. Do you want to let us know where we left off? All right. So where we left off, guys, is uh, Susan just got done being touched by an elderly woman in a cottage who uh, was showing her how to take care of her bits in a way that (laughs) made her feel warm and disgusted at the same time. Uh, Also, Susan may have possibly been programmed by uh, said elderly lady uh, to do something crazy on Reaping Night, but we don't know what it is. So... She finally escapes the cottage and, being proved, decides to walk down the trail back to the city. Uh, and, um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> that happened. And now that we can leave that behind us, um, Susan basically, like, wanders down this trail and she sees some dudes and while she or sees a dude and a horse and like while she's thinking about what to do she daydreams too long and said dude approaches her uh which we come to find out is uh young baby roland um mm-hmm. who is going by a mr will dearborn mm-hmm. uh and uh they have their their little meetup um Roland plays it coy, but not because he is actually a smooth operator, <laughs> no. but because he has trouble with the words. And Susan is so used to boys uh, tripping over her every word um, when she uh, uh, hit puberty that uh, she is off taken uh, by this character who uh, has... Has, this is going to be like, like a three-minute synopsis of this yeah, chapter. Yeah, I can almost like be done with this. So uh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go through it, and then like Rachel, you can completely back me up because this is. I, I want to be honest, guys. Like we talked about this before the show. This is a Rachel episode. This is not a DJ episode. Mm-hmm. Um, when it gets into like coy uh, uh, people trying to like sexually impress the other person, it kind of just glides past me, and I'm on to the next thing. I'm not very good at those things, so. That's in your court. Um, okay. I will say that. However, basically what happens is she meets up with young Roland. They talk about oil derricks, the town, um, and basically what's going on with the town. She finds out that Roland is a bad boy, bad boy, and that like he was kicked out of the house and sent on a fool's errand to this town to count things that could be hopefully helpful in the future uh, when Gilead starts to face uh, the hordes of attackers in the future uh she is excited and enthralled by the fact that he's from another place and that he uses terms like wheels to describe distance because it's so old-timey and cute apparently uh eventually she has a want for roland's love but like also a disdain for him not making the proper approaches roland invites her to ride on his horse she refuses at first and then gives him some like i guess upskirts while hopping <laughs> oh onto the onto the onto the horse in a way that i was completely um taken back by like n- nothing oh, there was a term she used it was like nothing i c- i couldn't um couldn't show i, I don't know I, I, you probably remember better than i do but like she flops up onto the horse and is like that's nothing my mother would blush at or something like that so it's fine you know and roland's like you look very nice. Hmm. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh basically like uh susan uh chats with ron a little more they discuss their oil derricks how many derricks are running the stink of the derricks and then uh she basically gives him like a warning about the big coffin hunters and the new men to the court. Uh, Roland basically has some insight into the man that she is destined to bear child from and that he is not of the most uh, intriguing or deep thought of people. And they finally end up with realization that uh, Roland hasn't met anybody in town yet and his backstory is a little weak and her future story could be affected by knowing Roland. So they swear a truce. She gives him a kiss and end chapter. Is it's that so the most like sporadic, random, but also like. <laughs> so, no, but here's the thing it, it's just, it shows you like the way that we engage these chapters is so different. You think nothing happened in this chapter, and I was overwhelmed by how much happened <laughs> in this chapter. Rachel was actually literally pausing this episode, like right up till the end and pushing it an hour or so out <laughs> just so she could continue to put more stars on things. I know, I know. It's a problem. But there's a lot that we find out in this chapter. This is like big stuff. We talked about in the last chapter how Stephen King really is efficient in setting the world, introducing the characters, understanding the stakes of what's going on. It all happens so quickly, like within a few paragraphs we have a very clear idea who Rhea is we're starting to understand the location of where we're at and that carries over into this section where we get a lot of information about Susan we learn a lot about Roland we learn a lot about Magus we learn about the politics of the area there's so much packed into these sections it's deceiving because it's not a especially long chapter and not a lot of things happen. I mean, they walk down the road and see a few things and talk. That's essentially what happens from a action perspective. But there's so much subtlety of what's going on in the, in the exchange that I can't help but write 9,000 notes. Well, some of it's so like re- reiterating. So like mm-hmm. in the first part, like a lot of um, the very first section, a lot of Susan's internal dialogue is basically like replaying Rhea's conversation with her about like, you know, a box that grips and, oh and something that's not saggy, you know, it's like, and like her realizing after the audience has already basically realized this, that like, that's you know her her future man is is not just into um you know a- animal reproduction like he is into uh lusting over this younger lady and he's going to mm-hmm. continue to uh, I- enjoy that until <laughs> she's proved the other way right and then even then maybe it might last a bit bit longer so like it's deep but it's not deep because it's like you already do this but it uh- yeah, and I mean, now I feel you're like... seeing it from her perspective and like her feelings about her aunt and like the way she kind of tricked her a little bit with like the, you know, liking to play with dolls and like being a little bit younger and so on. Right. But I feel like we learn a lot about we we may have gotten sketches of who all of these characters are, but we it deepens our knowledge of who they are, especially in the case of Susan, Aunt Cord and Thorin. So let me let me get into some of my thoughts on this. Uh, <laughs> So Susan gets basically snuck up on by Roland because she's so deep in her thoughts about Thorin. And it's about, she's kind of coming to a true realization of what the deal is that she's actually made. And we, even though we know that Thorin is the town mayor and that 
Rhea has a great disdain for him. We don't totally know who Thorne is, except for someone who kind of wants to bang a teenager and also hangs out with crackly, like crackly knuckles. That's the stuff we learn in this, right? That he, in addition to the fact that he's like a creepy old dude that wants to bang a teenager, he's essentially a fool. This is the person that Rhea's having to be very careful to kowtow to because she doesn't want this orb taken away from her. But we find out that he's not some powerful, capable mayor. He's someone that's, um, like I said, a useful idiot for someone for Reimer and potentially whoever Reimer's masters are down the road. And the way that she, there's this great description of him that I feel like really sums up everything you need to know about Thorin. She's thinking about him and she describes him as a knuckle cracker, a back slapper, a dinner, dinner table belcher, a man who had a way of looking anxiously toward his chancellor at, ev- at almost every other word as if to make sure he hadn't offended Reimer in some way. So you know that not only is he uncouth and not very intelligent he also is obsequious and and like a little bit of a stoolie to this rhymer and rhymer is the real power in this area so that's illuminating we also find out more about susan's aunt cord you know i feel like again we had a kind of a sketch of her character but through the lens of Rhea, which is a totally unreliable narrator so we think we know her but really what we're seeing is Susan kind of coming to understand exactly who her aunt is in a way that she maybe did not realize before, even though we get the idea that our aunt is not very nice to her because she says little things like that make Susan feel like she doesn't fit in her family. We find out later in the chapter, but here she, she finds out exactly by realizing what aunt Cord has signed her up for with Thorin. She understands her aunt in a new way. She realizes that, she has really been manipulated. Like she's promised money to get their land back, which, you know, that in and of itself sounds pretty understandable, but we find out that really what swayed Susan was the idea of having horses again. And I think that speaks to her free spirit and the girlishness that makes her vulnerable to someone like Aunt Gord. And then the well, worst, also though, her father, though. So like, yes. her father was like a horse trainer by mm-hmm. career and trade. And so she'd spent her entire life with horses. And right. this is a, a little offensive and I'm sorry, but um, horse people. once once you're a horse person you're always a horse person that's true it's like a certain there's a certain type of weirdoness that comes with being a horse person yeah and i'm sorry to all horse persons out there that are mad at me for that statement (laughs) all right all right right. like uh, back to the so so I, i feel like she has horse thing Yes, definitely. Uh, I agree with you. She definitely is a horse girl for sure. Um, But I also think it, there is things that are like practicalities and things that are like matters of the heart. And, and Susan is such a mix of the two things. And I think those two things represent that. But also the part to me that's the grossest is the fact that Aunt Cord uses the idea of having a baby to seduce her into this deal, emphasizing the fact that it's not been that long since Susan herself was playing with dolls. It's easy to forget sometimes that Susan is 16. Young. Yeah. yeah. A little more adult with her like deep thinking. This chapter, I think does a good job of constantly reinforcing this idea that she is a little kid essentially. And so is Roland. I mean, Roland is 14 and she is 16 and you can tell that, in the way that this little romance blossoms, but we'll get into that. <laughs> you really do understand through Susan's eyes just how trapped she is in this deal and what a predicament she's found herself in. Because not only does she have to bang this dude once, she's going to have to bang him multiple times. <laughs> and him. then and then she has to go back to Rhea again. Rhea, who she just be has reproofed. been... 
Yes, who she's just been sexually abused by. She's going to have to go there. She's once again going to be under Rhea's power. Rhea will now now hates her and is going to take this opportunity to be, you know, likely be cruel to her. She's terrified by what just happened, completely rattled by it. Like they talk about, she doesn't realize it, but there's like tears coming down her face. Mm Mm-hmm again really get the full grasp of what she has gotten herself into for the first time and even though she has this couple of months reprieve this is coming well and her aunt wasn't just using the kid like she also understood that her father mm-hmm. had like sort of a, a solid grasp on like you make a promise you commit to it and that's your thing right and like that weight is also on her because she mentions it in her like internal dialogue like my father didn't it, and i'm paraphrasing but like basically her father didn't raise a, a quitter like she, yeah. if she says she's gonna do something she needs to do it and that's a weird but also like natural thing for a younger person to fall into the trap of yeah all of that's to say is it's not really that surprising when she meets like a handsome young stranger around her age on the road that she would be totally primed to be swept off her feet (laughs) and all that follows you have to look at it through this frame i think there's some probably some people who feel like this chapter doesn't make sense that people would be so caught up like this so quickly and others who really are into it. Well, come on. So he was whistling the song that she was whistling when they came upon each other. And if you're like 13 or 14 or, or even 16, like it's really simple to be like, Oh, that's fate. Mm -hmm. And like you've, and then like, you know, if you're already from a culture that like cause a big, prevalent thing in your society like to have two people doing the same thing like uh irrelevant of their knowledge of each other and like bump into each other is something that would set stronger than it would in like a a more modern society yeah i think it's interesting though i'm glad you brought up the coughing Uh, i'm getting a little ahead of myself but it's interesting that we get a slightly different perspective on Ka in this section for the first time and that susan she has this internal dialogue with her father about whether or not this is Ka because of the whisp- the whistling of careless love and how mm. she's just like, no, that's superstition. I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy that. I get to decide essentially. And up until this point, every time we've talked about Ka, it's been through Roland's perspective, who is like a firm believer. And so it kind of illust- painted this picture that everybody believed in Ka. This is just sort of a belief system that is in Midworld, but well, that's for not... her to like actually like jump up and say that is almost like thou protest too much, right? There is some of that as well, but the point is that there is some diversity in thought around call at all is new information. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so obviously Roland has appeared as Will Will Durban. They don't he they never say it in the chapter, but I think we're meant to know that that's obviously Roland. I mean, he acts like Roland in a lot of different ways. I hope um, that's not a spoiler. I don't think so. If it is, I'm sorry, guys. That's I. That's my bad. Yeah, and it's it's <laughs> it's kind of interesting to see him through Susan's perspective and how you see how observant she is right away. You know, he's hiding his guns, he's hi- he's wearing cowboy clothing, he's trying to conceal his identity, but right away Susan kind of spots that there's something off about him. You know, he she she thinks he looks like a gunslinger despite having no gun and looking so and being so young. And she also keys in on something that's a small detail but I think is telling about her is that she notices that his clothes are working cowboy's clothing, but they're brand new. 
So she's already a little suspicious of Will. Like later on, I think he kind of sways her, but she is not just, she's very observant and, and, and I think pretty clever in this section. And it just, I mean, I really like Susan quite a bit and this really reinforced it for me. It's just some of this interaction is a little, eh, but these little moments where you see how her mind works and how quick she is really does make me like Susan quite a bit. Well, I, I, when you say that though, I was actually surprised that she didn't pick up on like what he was doing to be there and was actually like swept away in the excitement of like the telling of a bigger city. And Roland even downplays himself a little bit by saying that he's not from Gilead, but from like a smaller town around Gilead. And that's still a fascinating and like exciting idea. And Mm -hmm. it kind of explains to you like how insular these little outside uh, nooks are and Mm -hmm. anything new is interesting. I mean, Susan actually mentions like a dry well (laughs) could be the topic of conversation for like a week or more. (laughs) Right. And that just tells you like how bland and boring the society is. So you can imagine how exciting Roland would be this like handsome young stranger exotic like she describes him as being exotic because of the way that he speaks and the fact that he's from a a different part of the world there's some great world building in their introduction i think we've seen little hints of roland's customs specifically when he was visiting the people in river crossing and you kind of just because that's the only culture we've really been presented with that is not like world moved on culture you think that that sort of again how the culture is there, but really we learn in the section that it's regional. She right away can tell that he's from a different part of the world because of the way that he says yes instead of I and wheels, like you mentioned. And so it's just, it's fun to see that that inner baronies have their own kind of customs and cultures and that, that it's kind of archaic, that it's kind of old fashioned. And I think that links back to the fact that it's closer to the aristocracy that Roland is pretending he's not a part of, but is actually a part of. So that was kind of like a fun little world building detail. I thought, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like it was um, the difference between like high London speech and like Cockney. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. We're like, uh, you know, like, Oh, you're so dainty because you, you use all those fancy words and like, mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, so fuck. you know, like the, the, like I'm bad at English accents if you guys didn't know so like, <laughs> i was like Doesn't... have i been transported to england did someone no, put me yeah, in the tardis <laughs> but it's like it, it is sort of a thing and like um that was sort of what i felt like they were trying to paint to begin with it was like right. an old-timey english style absolutely like, uh-huh you know, if you're rich or you're from like the main city you have one way of speaking but when you get down to the common folk they have a different way of speaking yeah i think that's exactly right that's exactly the world building you can kind of see the the influence maybe lessening as you get further away from the inner barriers that are Is it like, weird though that it's cute like that she's like oh he speaks with that weird accent I mean like, don't I don't know do you not more find like Australian than like you Do know? you find it do you not find it cute when like people have different regional dialects at all are there no accents that you're like oh I just like the sound of that Uh you know if you are f- from Atlanta, your accent doesn't intrigue me. If you're from Brooklyn, your accent doesn't intrigue me. Right. Um, I, no, I can't think of United States or but, regional I mean, dialects that would like. That's fair. But are there some accents like outside of the United States? Yeah, you know, maybe um, 
if you were like an Irish or Scottish right. person and you start cursing, um, I usually find that adorable because your curse words are like so upbeat sounding. <laughs> I think it's the same thing if you think about how totally cut off from other areas hmm. that susan is those places feel far away because we have to take planes to get to them they don't even have oil right so no, the true. inner baronies is might as well be south africa you know what i mean so it okay, feels okay. very exotic and different fair so. enough okay I, I agree okay all right yeah <laughs> we're on the same page and I, i'm sorry to georgia and brooklyn <laughs> <laughs> although i will say i do enjoy both of those accents so i do but it's not like it never catches i'm never like that's cute it's more yeah. like oh can someone cuss I mean, at me she's like a that girl please? and she's like oh it's cute that boy has an accent it's so cute i can identify yeah. with that so there's another moment really quickly I want to mention that happens in this first chapter, which is becomes a pattern throughout this section. When Susan gets a look at Roland for the first time in the moonlight and she realizes how handsome he is, she gets this shiver of attraction and arousal, but it immediately is followed by thoughts of Rhea, which is understandably upsetting. And so this is the first <laughs> of two comparisons that happen of these two meetings, these two back-to-back -back meetings. And the beginning of this arc of their attraction that throughout the chapter returns to this idea of comparing these two scenes and but does ultimately have kind of a change by the end of the chapter that we'll get okay, to. Okay, are you referring to the fact that like Roland eventually says something like, I would have asked you out on a date if I hadn't already mm. known that you were taken? No, it's more about every time she looks at Roland and has a moment of attraction. She feels dirty and she immediately thinks back to Rhea and is, is angry that Rhea touched her and now she can't associates that yes. with that. And there's also a detail where she sees Roland's hair for the first time and she just wants to touch it and know what it feels like. And there was that whole final section of the previous chapter where Rhea's stroking her hair and running her fingers through her hair. So it's just kind of like mirror or an echo of that. But then ultimately mm. at the end of the chapter, we might as well just finish the thought, right? That she kisses him and she talks about how for the first time since her the incident with Rhea in the on the coos, she doesn't feel soiled anymore. And she there's there's like, like he's a, wiped her clean basically by like that there's a different magical thing that happens, right? Like instead mm. of this dark witch this fairy tale dark witch she has this cure magic of just a sweet moment between two people and i mean i think we're on the cusp of them falling madly in love right so that kind of magic you got to think about even aside from what ria does to her it's all in service of trafficking her to this creepy old knuckle cracking man right so everything about sexuality is tied to something really unpleasant and traumatic and something she's afraid of and a sense of dread. And she has this like really sweet moment with Will Dearborn <laughs> that not only does she get to initiate, she also tells him to stop and he respects her and stops. So she reclaims a lot of her power in this dynamic with her and Roland over the course of this chapter. And uh, so, yeah, this is where it in uh, begins and that's where it ends. <laughs> now, what about the uh, horse? Cause like, so <laughs> Man, I got to stop on the the horse person thing. Like, this, <laughs> oh, here we go like, again. The whole time, like, while this, like, sort of, like, romanticism is building up, like, Thrasher the horse is, like, nudging shoulders and, like, rubbing on bits. And, like, mm -hmm. she's, like, you're a beautiful thing and, like, wants to jump on him and, like, and, like, talks about how attractive his mane is and stuff. And it's, like, I... 
I got, I got the horse people thing in my head again. It's like, what are you doing? You're here to hit on the dude, not the horse. Like, stop hitting on the horse and, like, hit on the dude because that's what this chapter is about, not hitting on horses. And, uh, I mean, horse I, mean I think the horse also represents to her a better time in her life, right? If you think about when she had horses, when she could ride horses, when she could be around horses – was when her father was still alive. She wasn't under True. the thumb of her aunt Cord. She wasn't going to have to bang some old dude. Their life was very different for Susan when she had horses because they also is when she had her lo- father, who she be- like is so beloved to her. So I feel like there's a Winnie joke in here somewhere. It's like <laughs> save, she was free, wait, save it, save it, save it. <laughs> you might need it at the end of the episode. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm good. good. So I'm sorry. I I gotta stop beating the horse drum here. But it's just like, are you beating man. a dead horse with this? Is that what's yes. happening? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So continue on. So there's a few more things. You've got a lot of stars here. Okay. We've touched on like their interaction, like the sort of empowerment that he provides for. Her. Yes. There's the horse interactions, which I have seemingly not given up. Yes. Um, there's also the fact that she kisses him. Yeah, but she tells him like one is good enough for a good man, and like he's like, of course. And then they have that like confidential moment where like, and a, a confidential is not a word by the way, um, <laughs> where they like kind of talk to each other and realize yeah. that they are both sort of like secretive together because they have to be in order to not get in trouble for this meeting. Because if she is known to have you know cavorted with a young man before her her thing and like she's been that was between her being proofed and going to somewhere else like that could be a big deal for her and for roland the same thing like you don't want your introduction to the town for the first time to be to their like young lady who is behooved to the main main operator in town so like yeah you need to go in fresh fresh powder dry i think would be roland's term yeah yeah all right we're getting ahead of ourselves so let me let me take us back just a little bit and then we'll get it because i do want to get into all of that but there's like a couple of things i want to knock out before we get get there which is first of all roland's game is to apparently insist that she get on his horse so (laughs) i'm not gonna lie struggled with this part a little bit just because it's like she said no, bro. Like back off. Combined with the courtly gentlemanly like bowing to her, it felt a little Well, that's why I was like so <laughs> overtaken by the horse thing is because like it's not that she succumbs to Roland's like request to ride the horse, but she succumbs to the horse. Oh, see, that's interesting. I don't think that's true. What? because okay so i know what you're talking about it's when the horse nudges her right yep and she's like like, why aren't you paying attention to me but her father's voice pipes up into her ear right and i think Mm -hmm. that is what sways her right because voices play a very important role in these books we have been through a lot of voices and this is the latest one and it's pad delgado and i so i i want to consider like what function that internal voice has for susan because unlike all the other voices speaking to our characters susan yeah, has i mean if if harvey dangerfield tells me to do something i'm gonna do it harvey da- who's archie harvey dangerfield oh shoot rodney yeah, dangerfield, rodney dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> 
Damn it! That joke failed poorly. I got Harvey Danger and Rodney Dangerfield mixed up. Someone needs to make a mashup of those two now. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. Continue. So, like, her dad speaks to her. I'm yes, sorry. yes. Okay, so, but previous to this, all the other voices that we've had speaking to our character unlike them her relationship with her father is totally loving and uncomplicated okay he is not harry dean he is not detta he is not even court this is somebody who's has like a she has a very pure connection with and so the voice is much more encouraging and self-reflective and it seems to encourage her to be braver it of all the voices to me the most obviously the voice of her like her own internal voice her own the voice of her own desires. And so she has been resisting getting on the horse because probably part in part, because she wants to get on the freaking horse, but also because she's resisting role or will will, and also afraid that she's going to be seen on the horse. And she's afraid of the consequences of being seen with this boy. And she's like, with the Pat Delgado voice, she's like, fuck it. I want to be on this horse. I'm getting on this horse. The, the little thing of him like snuffling at her back, I think, was basically gave in to the things she already wanted to do. Does that make sense? Man, you're, you're really driving home my my end of show joke now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay, don't forget it. Write it down. <laughs> Notes taken. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I didn't. So I didn't get that from the father perspective. The father perspective was like, buck up. You need to like commit to your obligations that too yeah uh-huh. and so like those those are two to me two different stories the but story then he also of... talks to her about like is it called we've heard pet delgado three times now once in ria's cabin saying like you made a commitment you gotta do it second time with this this horse thing like basically reinforcing the things she already wants to do and just giving her that extra push to be brave and mm-hmm. do it and then later we hear it pushing back against like, basically, it, it clearly is the voice of her true heart's desire, because she's saying, I, I don't believe in superstition, but Pat's voice says, mm, it better not be, because if it is, you're going to be powerless in the situation, You're it's okay, that you, you have no choice but to be swept away, which is what she really, as like a 16-year-old girl meeting this cute boy when the other option is Thorin, I mean, of course that's what she really wants. I don't know. Am I wrong? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Like I'm not. Uh, you're better at that. Than not me. necessarily. I mean, I get. I you know, I'm limited by my own brain. So well, give me a different it, perspective. My my perspective stands that like the horse is a metaphor for like <laughs> hopping on rolling. Like, this is like, I mean, that's true as well. <laughs> it, by basically by like succumbing to the horse's need for her to hop on his back. Um, she is like effectively also like sort of succumb to Roland's charm. But I mean, and I also like, think there's some degree of there's what she wants to do versus, versus what, she, what she knows she's supposed to do. Yes. And I think she wants to get on that horse. <laughs> well, she's a horse person. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. So the other thing that's really important here and like, it's my fault for glazing past this, but also uh, super valuable information is like, she takes it upon herself to basically describe the not police people that are hanging around Thorin's mansion. Mm-hmm. And these folks are are referred to, and we heard about them earlier, as the big coffin hunters. Yeah. They have a little tattoo of a coffin on their hand. And she actually, like, kind of gives Roland some insight, not just into Thorin, but into the character and uh-huh. nature of these guys and what yep. they're up to. And she doesn't need to do it. And she even, like, internalizes the fact that she's like, well, 
you know, I probably told him more than I should, but like, uh, you know, he's going to keep my secret and that's okay. And, and so that little extra a tidbit there is sort of the moment where she sort of underlines uh, Will Dearborn's name three times in her notebook and draws a heart around it. You yeah. Know, it's like, it's like, yeah, uh, you know, I just don't want you to get hurt. So I'm going to tell you about this thing in advance that I didn't need to tell you anything about. So uh, be warned. And like Roland's like, thank you. And then like, even the, when he explains their incident with the horse that um, was like a purebred that they, they wrecked and like it broke its leg and had to be put down and, and so on. Like she's almost taken in by it and then realizes that like, this guy isn't quite telling me everything. And and the statement, and this is actually um, more to your point, is uh, she says, like, as soon as someone tells you, let me be honest with you. Yeah. Prepare yourself for the next statement because it's most likely the least honest thing they will ever tell you. Right. And she also felt his gun. So. Yeah. And like, and Roland too, like, has like instinctually been reaching for his belt uh, multiple times through these interactions as like a noise or a change or a shuffle or, mm-hmm. or her starting to be like a little bit um, uh, spooked by the horse nudging her and so on. Uh, all of those things draw him to his belt, which like kind of implies that go uh, Roland is used to rolling around with uh, get it rolling, rolling around <laughs> ah, with guns anyway. Yeah. Um, and so that was the other thing I wanted to make sure we got to before I forgot about it mm-hmm. uh, but you still have way more stars than that so like, yeah <laughs> you keep cutting to the end on me dude <laughs> oh, i'm sorry okay back back it up reel it in reel it in i do want to get into all of that but i want to really just quickly touch on the dynamic between roland and susan so that we can move into the the final sections where we get like all the politics and all that good stuff susan has a very specific expectation of how Roland should be responding to her because in her experience, everybody kind of like all the boys kind of lose it around Susan. And so again and again and again, he sort of frustrates her because he doesn't respond in the same way that he says he's going to be quiet. And then he is quiet. And then she keeps baiting him with little bits of information, seeing if he's going to ask her a question, like, why are you going to have horses soon? And he never does. And so what ends up happening is that she ends up making all the first moves, including initiating the conversation that they have. It creates an opportunity for her to take initiative and have agency in this conversation in a way. Sure. That sort of felt to me like one of those bad dating technique move things that they teach like guys to do at the bar where it's like, don't be too interested. Don't be Mm -hmm. too. And then like she fell for it. And like all of what she thinks is Roland being coy is Roland just like being bad at his thing. But I think it ends a- up exposing her more than like she would have normally wanted to and like changing the power dynamic between the two of them. And I almost think it's not empowering for her. It's actually like sort of takes away a little bit because right. she has succumbed to this guy's like, uh, uh, you know, handsome demeanor and like quiet nature to where she's like breaking her own norms of like mm-hmm. going out of her way to ask him questions and, and interact with him. 
I think both things are true. I don't know that he's running game on her. I think it's a combination of well, two no, things. Like, he's awkward. You run game. He's awkward, and he's also Roland. Roland is kind of a quiet, pensive dude, and he's young here. But there's still the seeds of who Roland is to become are present, and so some mm. of it is that. He is a stoic person, so, you know, in his nature to not be falling all over himself or something. Although we get little hints that internally he's like, oh, oh my God, freaking out. But what I mean, <laughs> it, these early things, I agree with what you're saying, that it's not necessarily empowering. Ultimately, I mean, as when we get to the end of the chapter and she feels empowered to make to, to make the first move and kiss him is where she kind yeah. of, that's that. I, but I agree with what you're saying up until the point at the end there's an old statement that i still repeat to younger people on on somewhat a normal basis and it's um it's don't mistake malice for ignorance right and like the reason you say that is because you are coming from one perspective where you like look at it and you're like that person's out to get me or that person has these intentions and like that person could be completely clueless to everything and like real bad at stuff. Right. And like, that's what this feels like to me is like, she is losing because she has assumed that Roland is playing like next level chess and Roland doesn't even have a mastery of checkers. Um, and so like, hmm. she's taking her game up a notch, but like by taking her game up a notch, like she's actually like, brought herself down to where Roland's at in like a confused, like sort of not good at this situation state. I mean, and, I, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. You're like, not it's wrong. Just, I, that's just not it's just my the, the dynamic is super. It's just very awkward. It's two young people who have no idea what the hell they're doing. Yeah. And he, she has got, there's a pattern that's been set and he's defying the pattern and it's mystifying to her. Like, I don't think she's like, Oh, he's trying to mess with my head. And I think it's more just like, what is happening? Why are you not responding? Here's a little bit of leg. Oh, finally. God, thank you. Jeez. I don't I don't think it's that deep because I think they're both kids. Did you have game at 14? I didn't. Uh, you know, let's not talk about my game. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It, fair wasn't, enough. it wasn't bad. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, yeah. We also get the Cinco oil field for the first time where we find out that right yeah. outside there's these somewhat functioning oil fields that has 19 derricks still working, which is of note. Um, but it just kind of reinforces this idea that there's like right outside town, there's just this wealth of resources that would make them a center of industry and prosperity if they had any idea how to use it. But it seems like not only is there no knowledge left, they're doesn't appear to be any inclination like they're just ready they if anything they're just like stop pumping you smell bad you know and it's just kind yeah. of it tells you a little bit about the town and like the pokiness of the town we um, also hear about the thinnies which are right. like off to the outskirts of town that have created this like horrible noise that spooks roland in one of the many spooks throughout this section a and the thinny like has to be warded off like uh, a beehive basically yeah. where they bring out green materials and like burn them in the field and it provides one a dimming of the sound of the the horrible buzzing of the thinny but also two to protect the cattle from wandering into this thing never to be seen again and right. i don't i don't know if you remember too much of the description of the thinny but it, it previously like we kind of heard about it as like a almost a, a mirage you know, mm -hmm. like water vapor above the ground. But in this description, 
it's almost like thin hands reaching out towards the sky. And a description of the thinny is that it will eventually grow to engulf this entire canyon and move on from there. But it won't be in their lifetimes. It grows a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. And I was really trying to think of ways to scientifically or even Stephen King, if we come up with like a, a logic for the thinny, but it still has not struck me yeah. as to like exactly what we're dealing with when it comes to that. I mean, isn't that kind of the point though, right? Like it defies all physics well, and logic. Okay. So I'm going to try for just a second. Okay. 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 Let's do it. Let's do it. And the thing I am going to give you is the Stephen King connection for this episode. Oh, is... wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you get excited now, but when I lay it on you, it's less exciting. Um, <laughs> okay. So, like, I was, I basically, for the last three days, I've been just sitting and daydreaming about what Stephen King connection I could make to the thinny. And what came to mind most likely and and most interestingly for me was um, the Langoliers. So <laughs> if you imagine like the time vortex that's going on there and like yes. you understand that the Langoliers are always like post time by just a little bit to eat whatever's left after yeah. time has passed, like the moving on and the time is passed and the langoliers and the humming sound and the mm. like drawing and almost hip hypnotic sound of that. And you think about worlds meeting, maybe they're slightly off time from each other right. and the langoliers occupy this like uh thinning area between the universes constantly eating the overlap and also for some reason uh, instinctively drawing wildlife <laughs> into their their gaping maws and, and at first i thought that was this was kind of a dumb idea but then like when we start hearing hand descriptions and like sort of monstrosity descriptions mm -hmm. and like the hunger <laughs> yeah that's the only one i could really hang my hat on and be like you know what langoliers like not my favorite stephen king property by even like the top 100 margins but like, i have it's a weird a affection for that crappy ass movie <laughs> yeah i know right it's like it's it's not really his best work but like it's a thing just like and, cousin Valky like, sort of tearing fits. paper tearing yep. paper <laughs> and so I, I don't know i wanted to throw that on you and yeah. see what you thought that's interesting i mean definitely this is a new take on a thinny so i'm glad that I, I, there is some degree of which I can imagine that that's where they live is like inside the thinny. And that's why they're like actually eating through, like maybe that's how the thinnies are formed. The Langoliers are like chewing through the fabric of existence. That's interesting. that's interesting. I was just thinking about it along. Like, so when we think about like worlds colliding and like all of these different um, sort of space time continuums coming together, like the Langoliers were designed to like get rid of excess in a given universe mm -hmm. so if two universes start to overlap onto each other mm -hmm. and then like one group of langoliers on one side is frantically eating the one plane of existence that's encroaching on the other and vice versa into a point where you've created this like null zone dun, dun, dun. okay now i want to take this to like another level of like stephen king fan fiction okay. so you've never read insomnia right no. Okay, so in Insomnia, there's these little doctors, is what they're called, who are the, there's, they show up when people are dying, and they cut this thing that's like your life force, and they have a scalpel, but then there's another, like, dark one who shows up, and he has, like, a rusty knife, 
or rusty scissors rusty scissors i think okay and so like what if the langoliers eat time but like the dark langoliers eat through the, the fabric of existence to create the thinnies mm. fanfic <laughs> i mean i think you could write a bad novel about that in five minutes so. i think we could uh-oh chills or uh tingles down your spine here we go <laughs> let's make it happen Ooh. okay okay so <laughs> all right okay so back to the actual uh i'm glad you brought up the thinny uh because it is actually really creepy i mean it was very otherworldly and odd and and creepy when we discovered it outside of um topeka but there's something especially sinister about this one and i think you're right part of it is the idea that these like hands of mist reach out and grab thing grab at the city right but i think Mm -hmm. it also goes to this idea of how fragile the peace and magus is and how we're very much on the cusp of very intense change and not for the better in magus because we have this beautiful pastoral setting but it's surrounded by super weird dark stuff right We've got the signs of the world moving on and encroaching evils in every direction. We've got the oil field that nobody can use, but is like a graveyard of the past. We've got Rhea of Coos up on the hill being a fucking creep. We've got, and now we've got this thinny, right? That is slowly devouring the town. It may not happen soon, but there is this encroaching evil. And so there's threats in every direction. And I feel like that is, there's a couple of things that We'll go next to the politics of it, but just like how many threats and how fragile and it like hanging in the balance Magus is when Roland arrives. Like, how could this not go poorly, right? It's just every sign on a very literal and very mystical <laughs> level is telling you that this is this town is a danger zone. Yeah, and don't forget Rhea, like, she basks in the sound of the thing. So yes. Like, oh, a thing God, that disturbs right. everyone else, but she's like oh, let your your musical rays bounce off of my elderly body and, like, I will absorb you and be happy. And it's like, ooh. She loves destruction and death. And, like, basically the thinny is painted as this, like, end-of-world thing that will eventually engulf and destroy all. And she is an agent of that. Yeah. In that she enjoys its its warm glow so to speak yeah and it's so creepy we find out that there's a whole custom built around feeding this thing it, before it was just sort of like this unnatural sort of phenomenon whereas this one almost sounds like it's alive it grows it's hungry it eats i don't know it's like a thinny on a whole nother level now i'm and like what a, even more what about eyebolt canyon like or yeah I, eyebolt canyon is that like a name we should know from something else or is that just I think it's meant to give you, it's very evocative, right? Give you the idea of what the shape looks like. Maybe. Uh, like eyebolt, like the circle with a bolt at the end, or, um, so I wasn't sure, like. Maybe it's shaped like an eyebolt, yeah. And since it's old-timey, like, if you called something eyebolt canyon, to me, you'd almost be going with, like, a modern term for a bolt with an eye at the end, but it was something that, like, had lasted through generations and like the oil fields and like back to these folks again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, man. no, that's really interesting. Let's go back a little bit and talk a little bit more about Roland's cover stories. Like you had said 
you felt like she got distracted by the lore of the city. And I think that that is true. It definitely disarmed her and she was very in a suspicious mode. And then he said that and she was like, ooh, bright lights, literal lights in the city. This is very exciting and very exotic. And and it's a reminder that she is 16. Of course, she's very excited to hear about this. She's from this pokey little backwoods town. Hearing about the big city would be super exciting. But also, you know, Stephen King loves a literary illusion. And I think that this whole thing about when they meet and he's already in disguise is a very specific reference to the OG of all tragic love stories, Romeo and Juliet, right? Because (laughs) if you think about it, when Juliet meets Romeo, he is wearing a mask at the masquerade, and she has also now just been betrothed to Paris, who is someone she does not want to marry, right? And so here we have Roland, who's basically wearing the mask of Will uh, Dearborn, and is totally a star-crossed lover. So I do think that there is some very specific ties there, too. So that does not bode well for our love story, I don't think. Makes sense. Yeah. We get some awkward flirting in this section <laughs> where they agree to call each other by their first names. Ooh la la. <laughs> it's very goofy, but also kind of charming. But there's this moment where Roland almost trips, which normally you'd be like, roll eyes, except for that I feel like it does give you some real internal, because this is all from Susan's perspective. We're not getting any Roland perspective yet. So we have to interpret everything through what she sees and also foreknowledge of Roland. And the fact that he's like, I'm not normally clumsy. We know that that's true. So the fact that he is clumsy in this moment shows he who how distracted he is and how like totally smitten he is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would agree with that, too. It, it's unrolandly to trip. Yeah, definitely. But she doesn't see it, so that's the weird part. Is like, well, she well, saw it. She saw because remember, but she's like, she I'm used to boys tripping over me, like internally. Yeah, that's ever true. since I got my boobies, like so. <laughs> but she like tries, like it's okay, don't worry, don't worry. But she's like, I think well, gratified you, to get that, like, aha, you do like me. You almost find out that she's like got a little more to her than that when she's like. Uh, Roland's describing like how they got into trouble and like she internally mm-hmm. is like oh squeezing the ladies huh yeah <laughs> and she kind of alludes to the fact that she got into trouble on her own as well a little bit you know but she just hadn't gotten caught so who knows who knows what old Susan's been up to <laughs> the other thing that I think is really interesting is just all of the Roland stuff right like we know Roland pretty well now so to see Roland as a young person is really interesting because he still is very Roland-esque there is the ser- the over seriousness of him and the courtly manners and the there's you can see the Roland of now but it's a it's like a much softer lighter hearted version of himself he makes jokes he smiles really easily he's both super serious but also not totally mature yet not worldly yet and i think it's it's this balance of the roland we know and the boy that he was because even though he has in many ways he's grown he's out on his first quest he's gone through his trials of manhood but at the same time he doesn't have a ton of life experience yet and he clearly doesn't have a lot of experience with girls and so you're seeing those two (laughs) things juxtaposed together in a way that i think is really fun and endearing and you you see who roland was and who he could have become had he not dealt with all the tragedy that we know is coming his way and also what he was like before he was like a single-minded machine with total black like black tower fever 
Yeah, it makes sense. Dark Tower Fever. I said Black Tower Fever. Dark <laughs> Tower Fever. Tower fever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this sounds wrong, but also right. But no, it's wrong. <laughs> and we got to get, we got to talk about the politics, right? Because the other big thing that we get in this section is we start to get the lay of the political landscape in this area. Because like you said, Susan's, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but I'm going to tell you everything that's going on. She gives him all the tea. First of all, we get, for the first time, we get some more information about Farson. Up until this point, we've only heard little tidbits that he is a threat. He is sort of the person who is antagonistic to Gilead. Obviously, there was a thing with the cook where he was like a follower of the good man. But this is, I think, where we start to get more details about him for the first time. And that he began his career as a harrier. And then became like war general. And what he's doing is going around spreading ideas of democracy, which is Mm. interesting because arguably that would be better for the people in the society, right? Right now they're sort of trapped in a feudal society. But in this book, in this scenario, he's the bad guy. It's, It's just an interesting little twisty twist on it. So that's interesting. And we find out a little bit about the big coffin hunter. She warns him. You mentioned that. We don't know a ton about them yet. We now know their names. We know they have these tattoos. We kind of have got the vibe of them from Rhea's telling and then also just little descriptions. Yeah, you get a description of, like, the older one, the younger ones, and, like, one of them has gotten into more trouble than, like, uh, or has forgotten more trouble than, like, you could ever have gotten into, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you do, like, start to realize, and the the weird thing for me and probably you as well is, like, old age and getting into a lot of trouble like in this world is like 30s yeah (laughs) and like a 16 year old's perspective of trouble is like sort of like i don't know uh, passe almost because it's like they don't really have a grasp of like how bad the world actually is right you get that when um roland is like briefly describing the conflicts in these other areas and she's kind of like honor on her t- tippy toes to like listen to this exciting new yeah. information right like he's like western and the northern baronies are burning and she's mm-hmm. like that's that's so far away but also like kind of almost. yeah exactly which i you know i feel is a very teenage way to respond to something like that you don't really feel in danger but it's just like a little bit of danger is exciting and i think that tells you a little bit about susan's personality and how she you know maybe a little bit of a risk taker when we'll see I will tell. But I, I mean, I do think it's it's informative of who she is. So with the big coffin hunters, because we don't know a ton yet, really the only thing that is the most important fact I think we take away from this is that their very presence sort of belies that there's something afoot in Magus. Why are there bodyguards here? What are they guarding? What is the purpose of sending these three men somewhere that's like so out in the boonies, right? Why are they there if they're not up to something? And so it it tells you that there's more happening under the surface here in Magus than outwardly would maybe necessarily appear. Yeah, I I don't disagree. I mean, we already have the secret box that can see right. into you, you know, right? And see into them too, right? I don't know. You've taken away more from this than I. <laughs> taken, so, um, okay, that's when fair. you throw it to me to like fill back in again, I'm like, yeah, I think we covered. Okay, well, I have a question for you then. All right, my question okay. is: is that this book really in part hinges largely on this love story? Um, what do you think? What do you think about how they did? Uh, King did with setting up this love story. Do you feel like it worked? does it feel believable is it more of the eddie susanna where the fuck did this come from variety what do you think uh no it's so it's like your stereotypical like 
uh, turn of the century romance. Like it's the like forbidden love mixed with the like young people and their urges mixed with like some ups and downs of the world that things have thrown to you before you met the other person. Um, it, it's typical, right? Like it's not, it's not out of place. Mm-hmm. It's not like this is the novel that turns me into like a romantic novel junkie and i'm gonna go search <laughs> it's not out, the like, greatest everything. love story you have ever read <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, like fair, um, fair. it's just it's just regular <laughs> and so i don't know like uh, the the little peppered bits of, of information we get about like um the coffin hunters and like the world around him and stuff it's all cool but this is like for me uh basically a, a small information dump surrounded by like two kids like playing handsies <laughs> okay if that makes any sense am i wrong like no like, you, you feel know. how you feel dude i wanted to know what you thought that's what you think that's there's yeah i mean i think that because you're gonna need to buy into this love story i think this is a really important chapter at least for setting it up and i think you could you could feel either way about it you could be like what but i i think there's enough seeds here to make it work like First of all, they're ages. They are in, like, do you remember how much you used to feel things when you had hormones, like, coursing <laughs> through your body? Like, when I would have a crush, it was like, oh my god, I love this person. And now, I mean, I, you know, I'm dead inside. <laughs> so, like, as an adult, I'm like, roll eyes. But as a teenager, absolutely, I felt these way this way. And I think that the timing is perfect because there's something very fleeting about this moment for Susan. Susan, who knows that she's about to get married off, or not married off, but like, I don't know, sold off, pumped off to creepy old man, and like her life is never going to be the same, and Roland is on his first quest ever, and out in the world, and experiencing all these things for the first time, all perfectly timed. It's like a perfect storm for this infatuation and bond to form that I'm like, yeah, I buy it. I'm into it. I believe it. Yeah, it's not bad. It's just yeah. um, I'm not a love story guy. So me neither. Uh, awesome. Right. So okay, have we covered everything? We have covered everything. That stars. is it. That is it. I think you've given your overall thoughts on the chapter. Mine are that I enjoyed this chapter. I felt like it was there. It was a little uneven. It started off a little rocky. Got stronger towards the end. Has me very excited for what comes next, but also uh, dreading it a little bit because I'm getting. To a place where I really like Susan and I'm invested in her as a character and we know it's not going to go well. Okay, so for the next episode, Wizard and Glass, part two, uh, Susan, chapter four, Long After Moonset. That is what we will be covering. So if you are playing along at home, crack open that book, crack open your audio player that or audiobook player. That is what we are going to be covering for the next episode. The only Stephen King connection to the or Stephen King universe connections is the one that DJ made up and we are we are <laughs> affirming as canon from here on out. Add it to all the lists. Stephen King adaptation news. The only thing really that's come out is, and this is kind of a bummer, is that the Eyes of the Dragon adaptation that was happening at Hulu is dead. 
I know. There's still some hope that Apple TV might pick it up because originally when it was being pitched, it was between Hulu and Apple TV and Hulu got it. And then Hulu changed leadership and lost interest in the project and booted it. So maybe, who knows, maybe Apple TV will pick it up. But as of right now... Tim Tim Apple has a lot of money, so he could probably afford that. Right? Come on. The other news is that we got a premiere date for the Stan series that's going to be on CBS All Access. It is hitting... On December 17th. So the question is, DJ, are we going to cover this? Uh, I, do, I guess you want to like do a side side gig hustle on uh, the stand because uh, that could be a thing. I'm, I'm just thinking because you and I both have such an affection for that book and I'll it have is to give kind up of... my uh, current Doom Doom Patrol. Oh, never uh... give up Doom Patrol. You have till December. <laughs> oh, my God. I love Doom Patrol so much. Okay, so we can all do a whole other podcast on that, but that's not what we're doing today. So, okay, <laughs> cool. So we'll figure that out. We've got till December to figure it out, but that's something on the horizon. I guess we are going to cover the stand. So that's exciting. Game on. Awesome. Okay, so that takes us to my favorite part of the episode, which is listener feedback and Facebook group question. So we did get an email this time, which I'm very excited about. Our letter comes from a new listener named Todd, or at least a new right. I mean, maybe he's a long-time listener, a short-time writer. I don't know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Whoa. hi, Rachel and DJ, which, by the way, he spelled your name right. I'm always delighted when I see nice. that. I know. Thanks, I've meant to send along my thoughts and praise for some time, so here we are. I want you all to know that you've created a wonderful podcast about one of my most treasured literature experiences. Okay, your analysis warms my academic heart, and I only ever wish it went on a bit longer. Hours of enjoyment spent reliving the Dark Tower journey and equal amounts of reflection once the episode ends. I think King would be proud. Oh, whoa, that's a, wow, that's oh. a nice compliment. Holy shit. I, I breezed through this when I, I got it, but I didn't read it. <laughs> okay. Surprised and, as reading. I know. And I hope y'all are because you should be. Oh, that's really nice. You two bring an interesting dynamic, and I find DJ's admirably small pop culture knowledge, quite frankly, refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> why thank you I pay attention to very little in the world that's you know what i think you're a happier person as a result of it you need to start the cult of dj so you can just part your wisdom of zero fucker tree that's what i need <laughs> that is that would vastly improve my life <laughs> rachel's depth of plot and story craft understanding gives king's work the critical look it deserves wow that is way more credit than i deserve <laughs> i mean he's fair he's picked up on the fact that you do the work and like I just schmuck my way along, so it's fine. <laughs> and when he dressed way too far on racially charged framing. I mean, you're not wrong. I'm excited to think there are many episodes still to be had. I hope my note lets you know you have a much appreciative and loyal listener. Oh, Todd! Well, thanks, Todd. That is very refreshing. Uh, I often wonder if we're just talking into the air and it disappears. Which <laughs> should be okay, because I mean... Like, we do this just to hang out for the most part, but it's yeah, so nice if people like it. That feels good. Whenever you find out that someone actually, like, listens to it, you're like, really? That's a thing? You do that? <laughs> like, cool. That's nice Nice. Nice of you. Thank, thanks on you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Todd. That was really great. Totally made my day with this letter, so thank you so much. If those of you at home have something to say you want to share with us, even if it's negative, I'll take it and I'll read it <laughs> and I'll internalize it and it'll keep me up at night. But 
you know, if that's what you want to do with your time, oh, that's fine. You can email us at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. And you should come on over to the Facebook group and hang out with us over there because you can also leave us feedback and engage with us there. We do lurk around on there. And every before every episode, we post a Facebook question because we want to hear from you. This time, because this chapter is all about the budding romance between our, <laughs> our, our two protagonists here, and we saw that maybe Roland's game was not, he does not have the strongest hand. You know what I mean? So I thought it would be fun if we came up with our very best Dark Tower pickup lines. <laughs> very best? Oh, no. I don't, I don't think I have a best, but like. Okay, your worst. Some, <laughs> your only. Probably worse. Now, do you want to go first and get it out of the way, or do you want to uh, close out the show with your pickup lines? I mean, I got a couple that I'll throw at you, and then you can tell me how horrible and off base <laughs> I am. <laughs> so, you know, like, imagine for a moment when uh, Suzanne jumps up on top of the uh, oh, no. horse and, like, oh, no. gives Roland a little flash. Uh, you know, Roland would look up and say, do you feel a thinny, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> And then, of course, you know, like we have all the horse references. So, like, um, you know, like Roland rolls up and he's he's got his horse with him and he sees Susanna and he's like, hey, baby, you want to ride on the stallion? <laughs> but then she rides away on the horse because yeah, the actual horse. <laughs> just, I don't know. I don't, those are really bad. And like, I, I can't think of like an actual good pickup line that Roland would use. on her. OK. All right. Well, do you want to hear mine? Yes, yes, I have two as me. well. Okay, so my first one is, hey, gunslinger, I'm looking for a gunslinger in the street and red a flag in the sheets. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's pretty bad, too. Yeah, oh, no, these are real bad. <laughs> I'm not going to, uh, don't, don't be, don't expect to, like, you want to tear your pants off at any of these. But, okay, so here's my next one. Again, th- there's a similar theme between you and I on this one. Ready? Mm-hmm. Hey, are those pants the multiverse? Because you've got me feeling like a finny and I'm ready to tear that ass up. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess we missed the obvious one. Is what? that a gun in your holster or are you happy to see me? Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> All right. So we got some really great ones and some suspect ones from our listeners. So let's run through some of these hiccup lines. All right. So next time you're at like a DT convention and you're like really trying to hook up with the ladies. You might want to have these in your back pocket. All right. So Tim came through with a whole bunch. He was inspired. (laughs) I can always count on Tim. Okay. So he said, will ye lay and be true? I say, thank you. That's one. Okay. 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 I mean, I like it. It has the vibe, right? He's using the right dialect. All right. Let's see here. I'll tell you what else is long and pleasant. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. There you go. Now you're picking up. Yeah. 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 Would you and your friend like to make a Roland Popkin? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where's the gunslinger burrito in this? Because like, oh, a gunslinger burrito. How do hey, we make that? You hungry? You want my gunslinger burrito? Yeah. Oh, wow. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You'll never forget the face of dot 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 daddy. He said, "I think I squicked <laughs> myself out with that one." <laughs> And then he came with, I think might be my favorite, one wholesome one to cleanse the palate. Hey, baby, are you the Dark Tower? Because you're the center of my universe. Oh, Oh, come on. That was so good. That one might actually work. I'm not going to lie. That's a good one. 
<laughs> I'm sad to report some of these would probably work on me. Okay, okay, and the last one. Life is good, but so is that ass, 10. <laughs> <laughs> okay that was a good use of like a mispronunciation into a thing so i yeah. that one like is probably my number one pick tim is really bringing the deep cut okay all right let's see here um dan says oh this one's really good actually <laughs> this one is the turtle isn't the only thing of enormous girth in this world <laughs> wanna <laughs> see my beam <laughs> Okay, okay, new new, new favorite. New <laughs> Craig, he quotes the he thinks that actually the you could when said the right way, you could just use the um the creed itself, like the Gunslinger Credo. I do not aim with my hand. He who aims with his hand is forgotten the face of his father. I aim with my eye. I do not shoot with my hand. He who shoots with his hand has forgotten the face of his father. <laughs> <laughs> I should... Was this a, a Catholic uh, uh, preacher's statement to a young youth about, like, every sperm is sacred? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Brigitte says, might as well drink the ocean with a spoon as argue with a lover. And if you love me, then love me. Put those together and boom, that's how babies are made. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, Fair this enough. is another creative one. This one comes from Alan. I'll bill your bumbler with my lumber. <laughs> make you forget the face of your father <laughs> y'all are I dirty mean, that's, that's weird and dirty at the same time i know i love it <laughs> okay there's some good ones here this is this is our last uh contributor craig who has a few here so i'm gonna do this in the order the last one's my favorite of the three of them all right my gun will always aim true when your rose is its target that's <laughs> oh, pretty good that's pretty good okay uh, yeah, that's filthy yeah that's absolutely filthy shame on you craig just kidding <laughs> <laughs> all right here's the next one the harvest moon may come once a year but surely we can do better <laughs> yeah. all right that's good too yeah. um i'm having trouble picking a winner now i know right okay all right last one i'll rock your world so hard your twinner will feel it <laughs> all right dj who's the winner who is getting I mean, the most dark tower nookie i feel like if you were actually going to use that at convention that last one would probably get you enough smiles that you might be able to break the ice yeah and, like go have a drink mm -hmm, um mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. the uh pale moon comes you know once a year so. <laughs> uh, that's real good and then like some of the ocean ones i, I don't know i I think all of them are valiant efforts. I do not recommend you use too many of these on your significant others as you will most likely be going to bed alone, but they yeah. are still fun nonetheless. I feel like the center of my universe with a dark tower person would work. I think that one, yeah, that one has the a gun and the rose is like, yeah, yeah, I could see someone falling for that. And one. if I had had a couple of drinks and somebody dropped the enormous girth one on me, I... <laughs> Sorry to report it would probably work. <laughs> so bravo, you guys. I I didn't know when I put this question out if it was just going to be silent, like crickets. And you guys came through and then some. <laughs> this might have been my favorite set of answers that we've gotten. They're so good.
I mean, I'm proud of you guys because those are way better than anything I could think of. So good job. <laughs> awesome. All right. Great. So that is basically it. Again, if you want to get in touch with us, the best ways to do so are to drop us a line at castofcaughtzombiegirls.com or to hit us up over on the Facebook where we, like I said, we are always lurking around. So definitely send us a message there. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. So I guess... All that's left is, DJ, where else can they find you on the internet? As usual, guys, you can swing over to DeadLantern.com and enjoy your latest episode of the longest-running horror theme podcast on the internet, Dead Lantern Splattercast, which is now back up and running with uh, very little movie content and more so <laughs> of random discussions about the world, life, and deep thoughts from every one of us, including mysteries of the deep. Uh, you can also uh, swing over to... That's pretty much it, really. And this this here, I I am kind of backing away from the internet these days just because it's become a, a place that makes me scared of the world. It's a thinny. And it's become just, a thinny. Yeah. It's, uh, it's slowly becoming a destructive thing that is eating the world inside out. Mm-hmm. And um, I will stick to my garage and my woodworking and my favorite bars that is like Cheers. <laughs> anyway, where can people find you, Rachel? Well, you can find me lots of places. You can find me on the Zombie Girls podcast where we reveal horror films through a feminist perspective. You can find me on the uh, More Deadly podcast, where we review horror films directed by women. You can also find me on The Stream Queens, and you should definitely check out our most recent episode because I have a very, very special guest star that you may want to hear from. (laughs) The one and only DJ joins us for while we review his latest film, Chills Down Your Spine. Did all three hours of that make it onto the internet? I I barely edited. I barely edited that episode i mean i like cut some stuff that i was like i think probably this doesn't this is for us not for everyone (laughs) but for the most part like all the stuff we talk about feet a lot we talk about bathtubs we talk about the movie we talk about all kinds of stuff so if you just want to hear what happens on a friday night when me mars dj and our buddy matt have a couple drinks and talk about stuff. That episode is for you. So definitely check that out. And then also um, I'll be making another appearance soon on the Here's Johnny podcast where we're going to be reviewing The Last of Us 2, which I'm sorry, is not just game of the year. I think it is game of the decade. Fight me. I don't care. (laughs) So yeah, you can find me lots of places if you're not sick of hearing about me. And I wouldn't blame you because I'm sick of hearing me myself. Anyway, Did they steal the likeness of what's her name in that they, one too. No, like they I did last time. I mean, it's definitely still looks like the Ellie character, but she's older and she doesn't. Now that she's a little bit older, she doesn't look as much like Ellen Page. So anyway, that is it for us. <laughs> DJ, take us out. Uh, like a fine glass of horse wine for horse people, you drink that down and rub your hand through the horse mane and then ride that horse bareback all the way to the end of the episode. And that's a lot of horse references because I behoof you to tell me differently. Oh, hey. I win you the prize you will send for this horrible horse buttery. <sighs> and that's the tail end of that one. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I'm trying to think of a horse pun. I'm failing. <laughs> this is my main failure of the show. Ooh, I mean, we got tails, we got winnies. Main got failure. Main, nothing. Main. Yeah, I guess okay. Yeah, main failure. All right. I, I'm sorry you've been saddled with such a bad partner. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs>
Bye, everybody. <laughs> Good night.